Canuck Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Bruce Boudreau is speaking with the media via Zoom after signing his option with the Vancouver Canucks. Here it is. Um, for this media availability, our uh, typical format will apply. We'll take uh, one question and a follow-up each. And then uh, if there are any other questions at the end, feel free to raise your hand again. Um, so with that being said, please use the raise hand function to indicate whether you have a question and we'll take our first one here. Our first one comes from Chris Faber, Nation Network. Hey Bruce, just wanted to uh, congratulate you on coming back for next year and, and ask what uh, what are you looking forward to with next season, getting this group back and being able to build off what you did this year? Well, I think that's exactly what I'm looking forward to is uh, getting the group back. And, um, you know, I thought we were building up something pretty good and uh, and to continue doing it. We just ran out of time, I thought, at the end of the last year and uh, or end of this year, sorry. And uh, uh, really excited about seeing what we could do with a motivated and hungry group like we had at the end of last year and uh, um, see, where, see where it takes us. I'm, uh, I'm excited about it, and it's something that it, I would – I would have really re- regretted if I hadn't have uh, been able to see see this thing through. Chris, any follow-ups? Uh, yeah, sure. Just uh, I guess now that you've been able to, uh, or you'll get an off-season here to kind of work on some things with the organization. Is there any changes to your assistance coming in this in the near future here? You know what? Um, right now, uh, um, Patrick and and Jim, uh, mostly Patrick is are reviewing everybody. Um, and I'm sure that's where it all stands is we're all in, in like in a, in a review mode. Like I, I've been um, sort of out of the loop for the last two weeks. So everything's coming at me today. And uh, right now uh, I think it, it, the best thing to, to be able to say is everything and everybody's under review. And uh, I guess it started with me and I'm back and then we'll move on to other people. We'll take our next one from Patrick Johnston, Post Media. Bruce, maybe just uh, sort of take us through the last, I don't know, 10 days since the season ended, sort of what your thought process has been and, and you know, sort of move day to day, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, when it happened, I mean, and I think I've said this before, but I mean, uh, um, you know, we were going 100 miles an hour from the day I got here. It was like every every day was a game seven. And, uh, uh, I just needed, you know, and we went till like the final week of the season, uh, vying for a playoff spot and every win was, uh, was, was vital. Every loss was like five losses. So my, my, initially I was saying, listen, I need uh, a week or so to decompress and see what, what's going on in my life before I start to make any sound decisions. And I mean, um, like, I mean, it, I have a 90 year old mother in Toronto that, uh, uh, it was it obviously is very important to me that, uh, uh, that was, it was a decision that we had to come up with, you know, I mean, to be that far away from her or, uh, and that's why I spent the last week in, in Toronto discussing it with her. And then my wife who made 10 different separate trips up, uh, uh, and we have a junior team that we, you know, I mean, we can't leave unattended that we've really made a big commitment to to keep in the town. And these were things that the things that I had to iron out. And uh, before I felt comfortable with, with saying, 
you know, yes to the job. I mean, uh, and that, that was it. And we, we've ran around, uh, my wife and myself, uh, all week, uh, making, putting things in order for the team. Um, and, and like I said, I was up in Toronto, uh, talking to my mom and, and getting everything organized with her, even though she's, she's great and she lives on her own and everything else. Um, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's something, uh, when, you know, I mean, you're that far away. So these were important decisions for me to make. And, uh, uh, when I got the okay from both parties that, yeah, do what you do what you love, then I decided to go forward with it. So did you go to bed last night knowing that you're going to be making the call this morning? How did, how did that kind of all play out for you? Well, I knew last night what I wanted to do, and uh, I couldn't sleep at all last night, and I was actually very nervous. I mean, I knew I uh, kept the Canucks waiting, and I don't like doing that, but it wasn't for any other reasons than the ones I stated. And uh, Woke up this morning to phone my agent and uh, told him, can you get a hold of Jim and this morning and let him know what I'd like to do and what my decision is and, uh, and go from there. And, uh, and Jim was very happy. And I talked to Patrick was very happy. And so we're back where we started and trying to build the best team we can for the Canucks. And I really believe that, the way we the last 56 games we were a playoff team and hopefully we can leave off or start off where we left off and and make it that uh, make it the dream come true for next year when it comes to planning for next year you know and figuring out how to you know first of all what your lineup's going to be like but but then once you get into that and figuring out how you're going to you know in, in the end sustain that over an entire season you know, what, what are things that you're anticipating that you're going to, you guys are going to have to be working on to sort of build out and make that a reality? Well, I mean, I think uh, for me, uh, uh, it's just a little more depth. I mean, we have great players. We have some really, really uh, elite players. And I think surround them with uh, elite players if we can. I mean, I don't know if we can, but I mean, the depth uh, uh, started to get a little uh, thin near the end of the season and, and build up the depth. I mean, our goaltending is going to be great. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I may be wrong here, maybe just, um, but I think we were in almost every category, you know, over the last 50 games, we're top 10 in the league and just build off of that. And it's, uh, uh, you know, we, I think talking to all the players, I mean, it's uh, sort of unfinished business that we have right now. And, we want to complete the task. And I think everybody's on board with that assessment. Once again, for media on the call, if you have a question, please raise your hand. In the meantime, we'll take one more follow-up from Chris Faber, Nation Network. Bruce, when you come into this group and you get to meet a lot of new faces, a lot of new players, what was it? What was something that kind of shocked you this year from the players on this roster? Was there a certain player's type of work ethic or leadership? Was there one player that kind of stuck out to you that you didn't really know much about coming in here? Uh, I really didn't know. I didn't know uh, much about any of the players except, quite frankly, uh, Brad Hunt, because I had in Minnesota. So, I mean, a lot of the guys shocked me because, you know, I mean, when I coached in Anaheim and I knew what it was like in, in San Jose, the East, when you're in the East, you don't get to see, A, how good these guys are or, um, or how great people are. And uh, uh, a couple things, you know, surprised me. I mean, um, I never realized, uh, I knew everybody had talked about Demko being a good goaltender, but I didn't realize he was as good as he is. Um, I didn't realize 
Quinn Hughes was as good as he is um, and, and able to do what he could do or JT Miller or, or Elias Patterson or Bull Horvat. I mean, these are, these are players that you can, uh, you can grow teams with and that's what excites me. And, um, uh, and then you have other players that uh, I knew, you know, um, Pearson, what he was like, cause I was in Anaheim when LA was winning cups and, um, so I knew these guys what they were like, and and I, I just think that they were uh, they needed a little bit of confidence, and hopefully I gave it to them. And when they did, we started playing really well. Um, we will take one more follow up from Patrick Johnston post media. Yeah, one last me, one last one from me, Bruce. I mean, in the end, you guys were jammed together. You and management kind of jammed together mid season. You know, a lot, you know, people didn't necessarily know each other very well before. What do you anticipate now that you guys have a chance to actually prepare for the season? Um, you know, what what has the relationship been with like with Patrick, with the coaching staff, with the analytics guys? You know, and how do you anticipate that sort of relation? All those relationships working moving forward. Well, I mean, I think uh, like I um, I want to get better at analytics. Um, I want to know it more and understand it more. So, I mean. Uh, I will be dealing with Aiden uh, much more this summer and fall than I did last uh, than I did last year. That's something that a I really want to get get on. I mean, uh, I think um, uh, uh, with Pat as far as Patrick and Jim go, I mean, uh, I thought uh, our relationship was really good. I mean, uh, there was never anything. Uh, I, I talked to Patrick after every game and every morning. It seemed I talked to Jim an awful lot. Uh, uh, the coaches and I and myself, we all had, we, we met religiously every, every day. Um, we had a plan together and I think uh, we followed the plan pretty well for the most part. So, I mean, the, these are things that we'll continue to do um, along with uh, uh, the, the, the other parts of the staff, the training staff, the medical staff, everybody else. And, and we'll put a great plan for the summer and, uh, and the players will come in in excellent shape. I'm can, uh, I can tell you that I've been doing this a long time. And one of the things that, uh, they, they will know is that I mean, training camps aren't easy. I might be a little old school and everything like that, but I mean, this is where you get, especially when you're in Vancouver, where, where you can't, you're going to lose approximately 12 to 15 practice days a year in travel more than other teams that, I mean, you have to be in great shape and training camp is where you're going to get in great shape. And we plan on being the, hopefully the best uh, conditioned team in the league. All right. We have had a couple more questions pop up, so we'll take two more here. We've got Kevin Woodley, NHL.com. I guess, first off, Bruce, what hole are you on and how the round, how's the round going? Well, it was my second round of the year and I suck. Am I allowed to say that? I don't know. I stink. Anyway, I mean, I must have three-putted 17 greens at 18 today. But anyway, um, uh, just sitting at the course, which I really find beautiful in Hershey, and uh, um, talking to you guys, but it was a great day. Awesome. Um, Just curious how much you watched or paid attention to the end-of-season interview with Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin and some of the commentary about structure defensive play and particular sort of zone exits um seemed from the outside almost pointed like where are you guys at in, in terms of what needs to change in those areas when we heard them talking about the need for improvement there what do you see as needing to change and improve 
in well, your own that, end and getting out? Well, the, the, um, uh, my previous question, I think, uh, was, was something, uh, like when, when I talked about analytics and, and stuff, and, and that's what you're, we're talking about and what Jim was talking about is, uh, um, probably I wasn't paying as close attention to all of these things as I should have, and we will get better at it. Um, my whole focus was on wins and losses. And, uh, uh, you know, if, if it was, if it was affecting us, I probably use different terminology than exits and entries and all of those things, but I will pay closer attention. I will, uh, study these things during the course of the summer i will know exactly what we're talking about and i will correct it uh whatever whatever that problem was it's going to be corrected and we have time for one more from barry delay global bc hey bruce uh, sorry if you've been asked this i joined a little late to the party here the the players uh, in their exit uh, media really praised you talking about how uh, you know, there seems to be a real connection between you and the guys. It happened pretty fast. Pedersen, he was a lot of your star guys. How important is that to you to, to get that, that personal connection with them and have it turn into, you know, success on the ice through that? Well, to me, it's, uh, it's one of the things I focused on my whole career um, from the first day I coached to now. I mean, was getting a relationship with the players. I think if they believe you and trust you, and they realize that you care about them, they're going to go through a wall for you. And, and so it's, it's something that it, that comes naturally, but I, uh, at the same time, I know it's something that I want to happen. And uh, uh, I agree. I think I mentioned it to uh, um, Rob Simpson the other day that we had a, a relationship um, much akin to the one I had in Washington and uh, uh, with, the um, uh, with the capital players and a young Oveshkin, a young Backstrom, a young Mike Green and Brooks Lake and that. And I felt like my comfortability of talking to these guys was on the same level. And uh, um, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, we can continue on, on that relationship uh, as, as getting to know them and getting to push the right buttons. Cause in the end, it's my job to push the right buttons and I got 23 guys and I got to find the right buttons to push on all 23 players. So the best way I can push those buttons is to find out about them and know more about them. And uh, I'll continue to do that because I just think it's part of who I am when it comes to uh, coaching. And just uh, one more, it's, you know, it's a, it's an odd situation to have a coach go into a last year of a contract and no extension uh, it looks like they're looking for you to, to prove yourself. You're, you're fine with that, that, that you can go in and, and show that, uh, you know, you can continue to, to build on what happened this year. Absolutely. I mean, um, let's understand that uh, last year I signed a two-year deal and with them and we had these, uh, these out clauses, but still the whole deal was the two-year deal. And, we both are honoring the two-year deal, and I'm very happy. With, very happy with it. I mean, I'm comfortable with the direction of our team. I want the team to be successful, and if it isn't successful, and then I'm taking a lot of the blame here for this. So uh, I'm. I have no fear of going in with one year. I don't feel like it's a lame duck. I feel like I've got the support of the the management, and we're going to go in and we're going to put our best foot forward, and and. Um, and I'm not going to worry about anything else 
uh, other than the team and, and contracts will not come up at all during the course of the year. Great. We'll leave it there. Thanks. There is uh, Bruce Boudreaux, the always honest Bruce Boudreaux, speaking with the media, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here on Canucks Central. This hour is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Bruce Boudreaux, always honest. Love Bruce, man. Love Bruce. Having Bruce back and, and the honesty and also the uh, humility he showed yes. and how he's not afraid of saying, yeah, I could have paid more attention to detail. And one of the things we discussed yesterday was it's not that Bruce Boudreaux has to become this analytics genius all of a sudden. All he has to do is show a willingness to learn and, yeah. and have it understood. And it's on to the team to be able to bridge that gap as well. And he sounds very willing to work with Aiden Fox specifically, who runs the analytics department and everything else that's involved. And like I mentioned yesterday, it's not like the analytics were not being used at all by the coaching staff, very much so on the PK specifically. So there's already some inroads there. It's just about embracing it more. And the fact that, you know, he he mentioned that he needs to pay more attention to detail to to that degree. I mean, the fact that he came out and and showed the humility and, and said that, yeah, there are things he can do better and he understands that. He also mentioned, um, you know, I come in and I'm just thinking about every win and loss. You know, how do you win game to game? And the organization was still going through a lot of turnover at the same time. We don't know how much changed between when Jim Benning was at the top of the totem pole and it was taken over by Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and how much they wanted and have brought in a more influential analytics Mm -hmm. group to this roster. So I think there is some stuff there. Like the the one thing you want to hear is that Bruce is willing to work with these types of things and wants to be able to implement it into the game. I think that is such a fresh sound to hear that, Everybody wants to collaborate towards the one goal of Mm -hmm. the Vancouver Canucks getting better on the ice. Yeah. And, you know, it's not about, you know, ultimately you want to be outchancing your opponents and doing these types of things, Sat, but it's the little things that build up to the success in those major areas. Well, and if you start looking at it, too, from Boudreaux's side of things as well. What do we talked about with him and his shortcomings in the postseason when it comes to certain adjustments and certain matchup things that he can do better? And you know what really helps you with that? Analytics. Yeah. That's how you understand which matchups are more favorable. You know, who do you put out against whom and what indicates the level of success this player can have in that type of situation. You embrace those sort of things. Well, that can all of a sudden help fill a blind spot you've had a bit later. And Boudreaux's been been around long enough, and he understands, and if he's willing to embrace that and help himself become a better head coach, well, that helps the Canucks. And also down the road, that can make a big difference. But you know, to your point more than anything, the foundation has to keep getting better. And it all starts with how you get the puck out of your own end. Yeah. And when you see how much more successful you are when you control the puck on exits, that's all you need to tell Boudreaux. Hey, listen, yeah. you're better when you control on exits. All right, let's do more of that. Let's figure yes. out what's, what's the best way of doing that. 
Yeah. Uh, let's uh, scheme up some more breakouts and, and different things that we can have success with. And that was a response to the critiques of Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine, the structure comments. Bruce answered it as, I want to get better at analytics. I learn more about these things. I'm going to speak with Aiden Fox. We're going to we're going to get on the same page with all of this stuff and mm-hmm. we're going to fix it next year. It's the kind of response you want. You know, if if Bruce calls out a player in the media, right? As he did with Nils Hoglander or mm-hmm. even when he called out JT Miller a little bit for the sloppy back check and yeah. we saw other sloppy back checks in overtime from JT Miller thereafter, but Miller played really well in the overall through the end of the season. We know that. So did Jim Rutherford use one of Bruce's tactics on Bruce to a certain extent? Maybe, but the key is what is Bruce's reaction to that? It's not Mm -hmm. sulking and getting all angry about it. It's like, all right, I'll show you. (laughs) Well, you know what it is too? What what are some of the things we've talked about for this team? Accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about setting a standard and internal accountability. It's not yes. just about the head coach. It's about the group themselves, the players themselves. You hold each other accountable. Yep. Well, that accountability has to go throughout your organization. And we were all kind of surprised given how public the discourse was and how how blunt the comments were from Rutherford and, and Alvin. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we just have to adjust to this being the modus operandi here now with yep. Boudreaux, with uh, this management team. They're going to be pretty honest about the situation. But if you're able to have that type of accountability, that's not a bad thing. I mean, you're right. I mean, management, they make the coach ap- accountable. Yep. The coach makes the players accountable. The players make themselves accountable. And that has to kind of go throughout the organization. It's part of building culture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I think you're kind of seeing it. Um, it, Sure, if you want to. It may mean nothing. But I I think the accountability factor is big. Mm -hmm. uh, And that it is kind of working throughout the organization. Those are uh, really important things here. And just the idea that Bruce is... um, just being open about wanting to get better and wanting to be on the same page with the others in the organization. And he shot the whole animosity thing down pretty quick. He shot the whole wanting an extension thing down pretty quick, said, I signed a two-year deal. It was never about the deal. I had to figure out my junior team and uh, my mother, who's 90 years old and living in Toronto, how I would deal with that, with the lengthy travel uh, between the two cities. So, you know, those were uh, Bruce's reasons for essentially why it took so long, the 10 days to iron out why he would open up or why, or essentially the 10 days to take to officially sign the option on his Canucks deal. The other interesting question was from uh, our friend and pal, Canucks warm up, Chris Faber, um, about the staff. Mm-hmm. And Bruce non-committal on uh, what would happen with the Canucks staff with yeah. his assistants, and uh, initially kind of fumbled and bumbled a little bit yeah. before he got to the gist of it, which is uh, they had to take care of me first. Now it's about <laughs> reviewing those guys, which is essentially what he what he got to towards the end. But he, it, it was kind of funny. He was 
you could see the wheels kind of going and him trying yeah. to trying to make sure he answers that that question as correctly as possible and also with as much as his hands off that question as possible. Patrick and uh, Jim are uh, are reviewing yes. everybody right now. Um, you know, you wonder if there will be uh, another. You know, he brought in Scott Walker with him when he came, right? Uh, so you wonder if he'll want to bring in somebody else, if mm-hmm. they'll want to make any changes. I think towards the end of the year, I mean, the way Brad Shaw was working the penalty kill, uh, why would you want to turn away from that when it was working so well? But um, that is something that will be decided. And we know the Canucks did move on from uh, other support staff earlier today. So I don't think that had anything to do with the Bruce Boudreau thing, but, um, you know, as Bruce said, yeah. everybody is under review right now, and that seems to be the case with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and on the training staff stuff, uh, my understanding is it had zero to do with Bruce Boudreau. Yeah. Um, zero, and that this is, this, and, and honestly, like, even current management, uh, there's not to say they didn't have a say in this, because clearly they do. But I don't think this was a process that was necessarily just underway this year recently. So I think this is something that's been you know under review, so to speak, for a while. So I don't think that those dismissals have anything to do with coaching staff and, to a lesser degree, maybe not even management. Uh, if you missed hour one of Canuck Central, uh, you would have heard Rob Simpson of Vancouver Hockey Now, who had the exclusive with... Bruce Boudreau earlier this week, at least the first exclusive with Bruce Boudreau earlier this week, and had some real insights into where Boudreau's head has been at over the last little while. Also, Yannick Hansen was uh, on the show, and his take on the things Boudreau implemented that started to work for the Vancouver Canucks, and also his take on Andre Kuzmenko, whom he played against in the KHL and is now on the Canucks shortlist to bring in as a free agent. The Canucks are listed or have been reported as one of the finalists for his services, though that decision may not come for a couple of weeks' time. Telling you, you'll be interested to hear Yannick's take on the player. Yannick was brought to you by the Magnuson Ford Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, you are listening to Canuck Central. Let's get to the goal horn. The Pittsburgh Penguins had a 2-0 lead on the Rangers. Keyword had Mika Zibanejad with back-to-back goals, his first two of the series, tying the game for the Rangers here in the second, and that as the Rangers all square, and Sabanajad had a chance to get the hat trick, but missed Ooh. on a breakaway as well. I know one of the plays, uh, the Penguins were not happy with a penalty call on Evan Rodriguez Mm-mm. that the Rangers eventually scored on. Yeah. So, well, Pittsburgh, they got a power play. They're not taking advantage. Um, you had a 2 nothing goaltending, right? I mean, yeah. Louis Domingue, you love him, but at the end of the day, it's Louis Domingue. It's like your third-string goalie out there. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? And no Sidney Crosby, which... Only so much you can do. Doesn't really help the situation. I want to see. I want to see six game sevens, though. I want six three tomorrow, and I want three on Sunday. 
Well, right now, Florida-Washington is 0-0 at uh, the end of 20. Florida can put that one away. And, of course, Calgary-Dallas coming up later on. You'll hear that on Sportsnet 650. The Playoff Goal Horn is brought to you by Surrey Cedar. For quality Cedar products, visit them online at surreycedar.com. Coming up, we'll have more on Bruce Boudreaux and where the Canucks are headed after we heard from the coach once he's accepted his option year on his current contract. It is Canuck Central. For me, uh, uh, just a little more depth. I mean, we have great players. We have some really, really uh, elite players, and I think surround them with uh, elite players if we can. I mean, I don't know if we can, but, I mean, the depth uh, uh, started to get a little uh, thin near the end of the season, and and build up the depth. I mean, our goaltending is going to be great. I think, uh, I mean... I, I, I may be wrong here, maybe just, um, but I think we were in almost every category, you know, over the last 50 games, we're top 10 in the league and just build off of that. And it's, uh, uh, you know, we, I think talking to all the players, I mean, it's uh, sort of unfinished business that we have right now and we want to complete the task. And I think everybody's on board with that assessment. That is uh, Bruce Boudreaux speaking with the media earlier this hour and this hour is brought to you by andrew sherritt limited your plumbing and heating wholesaler a proud family-owned bc company helping local business since 1892 some interesting thoughts there on the roster sat and i think you know one of the biggest questions about what happens next year is still the roster we know boudreaux thinks that there's some real good players on this team He's hammered on the depth numerous times. He hammered on the depth in his end-of-season availability. That seems to be the thing that uh, he really wants. But at the same time, there's still a question mark of whether or not all of this core is still in place going into next season. When that's going to be a massive question, and that's something that management has to figure out. So uh, when we listen to what management had to say, they obviously sounded, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but they were more critical of the team. And they critiqued it and they talked about what has to improve, yet still sounding optimistic and positive and, and spoke about trying to be better next season. Yeah. So it's not like they were talking about a team taking this massive step back and not being good or whatever. But the management, management comes off as being a bit more critical. The coach comes off as believing more in the roster. Well, that's always what the split should be. Management should always not love the roster enough and always look for ways to improve short-term and long-term and and constantly push to improve and be better. And the coach's job is to believe in what he has and get the best out of what he has. And his job is to be as optimistic and positive as possible in order to get the players to perform at a higher level. So even though the messages sound different, I think that's just what it should be between the split of a coach and what management should sound like. Yeah, and you you wonder what next year looks like for Bruce. And it's hard to predict that when there's mm-hmm. so much uncertainty with the roster right now, Sat. But as we've talked about, this roster may not be as talented on paper going into next season as it is or was at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Especially you take JT Miller off the roster, as yeah. Jim Rutherford said to us a couple of, last week. Right? 
If the number's out of whack, we're going to have to trade that player and look at long-term mm-hmm. assets that will help the Canucks longer term. So it's out there. We all wait on it to see what may happen. But how how do you get better if you lose a core player like that? Yeah. And how does Bruce continue to get the most out of this roster even when he's not coaching like it's Game 7 every night? Hey, listen, you don't have JT, but here's Andre Kuzmenko. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. You know, use him, for instance. I mean, you're not going to be able to replace... If you trade JT Miller, you're not replacing him as a player. You're not getting somebody back who's going to make the same impact that JT Miller did. That's not going to yeah. happen. Yeah. At least not in the short term. Long term, maybe one of the players you get back, or perhaps a couple of the guys you get back, have that type of impact for you, and it's worth it down the road. But you're not getting that same impact. I think... What would happen then, and this goes back to what Yannick kind of mentioned, he loves the fact they have three centers in Horvat, Pedersen, and Miller, but you can't really play all three of those guys down the middle and play all those guys 18, 20 minutes a game. So if I'm if I'm looking at it and saying, if you, as long as you have Pedersen and Horvat as your one and two center, and you can try to figure out a, a third line center down the road or, or something for next season to help help you out. And you got Lamico on the fourth and you can kind of piece it together. Even if you trade JT Miller, how much worse are you if you're replacing him with a guy, let's say Kuzmenko becomes a decent middle six player, like 40, 50 points. Yeah. And you get another guy that does something similar. And you still have Pedersen and Horvat down the middle. How much worse are you? People are going to hate me for saying this, but JT Miller, especially production-wise, almost 50% of his production, or even a little bit over 50% of his production, came on the power play. Mm. Right? Yeah. So that's that's not to knock him, but you know there is a world where you can find a player that is similar production-wise at 5-on-5, but maybe not overall as dynamic as JT Miller has been. Well, I think the way we have to look at it is power play success. Yes. So is your can your power play be as good or better without JT Miller? Because let's also not underestimate JT Miller's impact yes. on that power play. He's essentially... Is he more of a quarterback than Quinn Hughes is? Well, he runs the power play in the half wall. Yeah. And it's essentially shared between him and Quinn. He's this version of the Canucks Henrik Sedin. Yeah, to a large way. And he's really a playmaker off the wing as much as he does shooting and he can score. Yeah. But you take him out, you're taking a big focal point out. Now, that can do a a few different things. One of them is it could create, it could make Elias Pettersson the more focal point half wall quarterback on the other side. It may allow him to flourish more and take a bigger role. So if he's able to do that next season, well then all of a sudden you can, you can piece together your power play being better. And let's say you bring Kuzmenko in, but even if if it's not Kuzmenko, given the versatility that we've seen from guys like Horvat and guys like Besser on that power play, Interch- you can kind of interchange a lot of those guys. You could, in, in a way, have Besser, Besser take JT Miller's spot. You can Horvat stay in the bumper spot. You can bring in Connor Garland to play bumper or net front if you really wanted to. Kuzmenko could play the half wall. I think what, what the fact that even Besser and, and Horvat can play multiple spots yeah. gives you flexibility, whether it's you know on the half wall, whether it's in the bumper spot or playing the net front spot. So whoever else you bring in doesn't necessarily have to fill JT Miller's spot necessarily. To me, it's more about can you bring a guy in that allows your power play to flourish? Yeah. And 
I can see a world where the power play can still be really good without JT Miller. Well, the the one thing I've I've long wanted to see from Pedersen, and I'm certainly not the only one, but I don't want to see him as stationary on the power play. And we've talked about this a lot, Sat. Mm-hmm. But the setup, it's hard to knock it because it has worked for the Canucks with Quinn Hughes and JT Miller being the puck-dominant players on the power play. But again, what does it look like if you remove JT Miller from that equation? Mm-hmm. How much more does Pedersen become the quarterback alongside Quinn Hughes? You know, and you look at other... I mean, you're you're watching the other top centers in the game right now. You're yeah. watching Matthews or McDavid, and just watch them on the power play. How much they move around constantly. They're, you know, they're on the left half wall now. They're on the right, and and they're always following the puck. You know, I think Pedersen can get to a point where he is similar rather than just a post up, you know, shooter on the power play. Yeah, and. I, you know, as much as I I agree, and I've been making the case a long time, the thing is, it's, it's an experiment we haven't yet seen, and we want to see it put in practice. And it's easy for us to say, and, and it sounds really good and flowery and all this sort of stuff. The question, however, is, is Pedersen better at, at being the real playmaker, which and to some degree will nullify the threat of his one-timer? Not that he won't get it off. But your power play is not trying to set that up with you all the time. Yeah. Because if you're the primary playmaker off the half wall, you can't also be the primary one-time yes. option all the time either. So if you take down the volume and rate of shots from that one-timer, does that take away from the overall effectiveness on the, of the power play? Yeah. There's a reason why it does work so well when it's working well. It's because you have the threat on one side, plus you have JT on the other side, mm-hmm. plus you have the bumper play to Bull Horvat especially. So when he's able to get that shot in the slot, you have to take one or, or the other away. So when this power play is at its best, one of those two options is always available to, to you. If you're taking away that one-time opportunity a little bit, does that take away from the overall effectiveness? And that's a question. And, and that's, I think, part of the reason why they didn't switch that, even though the power play coaches changed. They still kept Pedersen in that role because they probably thought that's probably the best way for us to be a good power play. But I want to see that switch happen to see... If you have another level to reach. The one other thing that becomes an issue is if Pedersen isn't that trigger man, do you have anybody else on the team with the type of shot that mm-hmm. is as dangerous? Yeah. And you don't. No. And that's the, that, that also comes down to what you have. Yeah. You also, as much as you want, to, you want to put players in a position to be successful, you also have to do what you can with what you have. Yeah. And sometimes that means sacrificing something. For the greater good. The thing is, like, we've seen Besser do it yeah, on the left half wall in his rookie year. You know, for the first half of the season, it was like, why doesn't Edler pass to <laughs> to Besser on the power yeah. play? And then he eventually did, and we saw a bunch of one-timer goals. But um, when he's posted up in that spot, even just in short time periods over the last couple of seasons, it hasn't really had the same effect. No. His one-timer just doesn't really threaten opposing goalies. He doesn't score from as far out as it seemed like he did in his rookie year. And the one-timer, even even in his rookie year, the one criticism you could have was his one-timer. Yeah. And it got a bit better, but it's never been at a level where it's a massive threat. Like, Pedersen's one-timer is a threat. It's not Ovechkin, 
You know, it may have the same velocity as an Ovechkin shot, but we've gone through this. I mean, Ovechkin's able to get that shot off from essentially any any pass he can get off into a shot. His shooting radius is ridiculous, and Patterson has a longer stick as well, and just isn't as good as Ovi at picking up pucks, and because Ovi is the best of all time of doing yeah. that. Yet. Patterson is still one of the better options around the league from that spot with the one-timer. Like, that's how good and prolific it is. And it is going to be really interesting to see if JT Miller is not here, what type of approach you do take. Yeah, And, and I do believe if you're not going to have Patterson as your primary playmaker off the half wall, no matter JT being here or not, then I would guess the guy you're bringing in is somebody that's capable of doing that. And is that potentially Kuzmenko? Uh, he is a right shot, so uh, would be a different feel if he were to play the left half wall yeah. than JT Miller. Um, I did want to get to this since we're on the topic of Pedersen. Bruce was asked about Pedersen, and he responded about the building blocks he has to work with here in Vancouver. Uh, I really didn't know. I didn't know uh, much about any of the players except, quite frankly, uh, Brad Hunt, because who I, I had in Minnesota. So I mean. A lot of the guys shocked me because, you know, I mean, when I coached in Anaheim and I knew what it was like in, in San Jose, the East, when you're in the East, you don't get to see, A, how good these guys are or, um, or how great people are. And uh, uh, a couple things, you know, surprised me. I mean, um, I never realized. Uh, I knew everybody had talked about Demko being a good goaltender, but I didn't realize he was as good as he is. Um, I didn't realize. Quinn Hughes was as good as he is um, and and able to do what he could do or uh, JT Miller or, or Elias Patterson or Bo Horvat. I mean, these are, these are players that you can, uh, you can grow teams with and that's what excites me. And, um, uh, and then you have other players that uh, I knew, you know, um, Pearson, what he was like, cause I was in Anaheim when LA was winning cups and, um, so I knew these guys what they were like, and and I, I just think that they were uh, they needed a little bit of confidence, and hopefully I gave it to them. And when they did, we started playing really well. So there is Bruce, um, still excited about the building blocks he has mm-hmm. here uh, in, in Vancouver, and the thing about why I think that's interesting, Sat, because what's Bruce going to need? in order to build on next build on what he started here this year. He's going to need internal development mm-hmm. because I'm not sure how much like, yeah, we could talk about Kuzmenko till we're blue in the face, still a bit of a wild card moving over from the KHL at 26 years old. They're not going to be bringing in any big free agents. I don't know if I see any big trades coming over, over the course yeah. of this off season. They're looking at more so than anything, clearing up some cap room. Um, to a certain effect, and maybe take some short-term bets around the roster and set it up longer term. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, like who's he going to need the most of next year? It's Pedersen, it's Besser, it's all those young guys that he talks about needing to take a step. Management's job, if you don't, when you're not able, or when you're not adding you know, the higher-end guys is giving your teams enough options that when injuries happen, you have guys that keep your head above water. Yeah. That it can help you out and give you the right depth players and give you enough there. But the greatest improvement that happens is your best players taking steps, especially yes. when they're in the phase of their careers, which 
to your point, Pedersen is, Quinn Hughes is, Brock Besser, who we're waiting for, taking a step forward as well. So those guys specifically, not to mention Hoaglander and Podkolzin, yep. that's where you're going to have to get your biggest impact. And as much as we're sitting here and talking about a world without JT Miller, you don't approximate you know, having this season even and being a mid-90-point team without JT next year unless Elias Pedersen takes another massive step. That has to happen. Like yeah. Pedersen next year has to become a pointer per game player, all for an 82 game season essentially, and have a massive two way impact. Yeah. Like a huge two way impact. Yes. Which he, he's capable of doing. He has to be for the entire year, similar to what he was in his sophomore season in the league, a clear cut number one center. So, what do we say about Elias Pedersen this season after his? poor start and then the strong finish especially with how he was able to play on the pk yeah and some would have made the case some did make the case that Pedersen in the second half of the season was playing the best hockey he's ever played in his career yeah now you and i both don't quite subscribe to that because we look at what he did in his second season season to what you just mentioned and especially in that postseason where he went supernova so many different times he was a clear-cut number one center a top 20 center in the league after that second year. That's what he was for me. He really was. So I, I think people for, forgot how good he was in the second half of that. I mean, uh, in that season in total. So when they say, you know, he played his best hockey this year, I don't quite agree. Yeah. But I can entertain the idea and the notion that he added the PK element and he was taking a step in the second half of the season. He had 51 points in 43 games, mm-hmm. the final 43 games of the year which over an 82-game season puts you at 101 points. Yeah. So it's if, pretty good. It's pretty good. So if he's able to do what he did over the final 43 games under Boudreaux when he found his game for a full season, yeah. and he's on the PK, and he's having a good two-way impact, that's taking a leap. What else needs to happen for Bruce Boudreaux to maintain some of what happened in the second half of the season? You have to have more controlled exits. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of comes back jokingly to what he mentioned about analytics and wanting to listen more and paying better attention to detail. And that's something that Alvin and Rutherford talked about. That has to happen, well, number one, with your systems to some yeah. degree and you know how you're trying to ensure you break the puck out with control out of your own zone as much as possible and enter the other zone with control as much as possible. Or at least make sure you recover it as much as possible. Yeah. The other part is, do you tweak your defense enough to have a better fit? This is where it's kind of out of Boudreaux's hands to some degree as well. The defense isn't as bad as people make it out to be. It hasn't, hasn't been. We've talked about this all year. But it's also very clear it's inefficient. And that it's not working optimally given how much money is being spent. And if you need to make a few tweaks for that to work a bit better. Can you find a better partner for OEL? Yeah. Can you shift Myers one way or another? That, to me, also has to kind of happen here. Now, we talk about guys like Rathbone. I think those guys will help out, especially if Rathbone plays a third period next year and is able to break the puck out a lot. I think internally that helps. But you're one move away from being able to really change how your team plays. Yeah. it's. Um, I know Vikingstad brought up Pullman and the idea that the Canucks uh, you know, see a player in there. No, for sure. And, and I think they do. Yeah. It's true. But what type of player are we talking about? We're talking about a guy who's a five or a six. Yeah. And he's getting paid two and a half. Yeah. And, and that's five money. 
Yep. No, two and a half. I mean, two, two and a half million is not a top four money in no, the NHL. Not. Let's not no, pretend not. that it is. Yeah. You know, but that's what he is. At his best, he can be a five, maybe. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a guy who's going to be a legitimate top four defenseman logging 22 minutes a game. Can you get him to simplify his game and be a, uh, you know, Chad Ruedel type, right? Just a, sure. yeah. a guy that's super reliable, fits in the system. And you just don't have to worry about too much on a night-to-night basis. I just want his yeah. D zone coverage mostly is good. It was just sometimes he went rogue and was like, "What are you doing, <laughs> Pullman?" You know, you know him and Travis Hamonic. Yeah, boy, I mean, a lot of YOLO hockey when those guys are out there. I will say though that nobody imp- impressed me more with his confidence. Yeah. than Tucker Pullman. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. The man would not be afraid of trying to make a play or try to rush the puck, no matter how many mistakes he made or how many ill-advised decisions he may have made. Yeah. The man did not lack a confidence. I mean, it's kind of that irrational confidence almost to some degree, but I love that about him. It's more about reining that in. Yeah. It's like, do less. <laughs> do less. <laughs> Find your inner kunu yeah. uh, from uh, forgetting Sarah yeah. Marshall. Uh, do more. No, do less. Do, do less than that. Now, now, now you're doing nothing. <laughs> you got to do more than that. <laughs> you got to do more than that. Uh, all right, it's Canuck Central. Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Bet on, bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. We're going to bring you the game here on Sportsnet 650 coming up at 6:30. The Calgary Flames and the Dallas Stars. Stars on the brink of elimination and paying 2:35 on the money line at home. Uh, Flames 162 on the money line as favorites in this one. What do we know? It's going to be low scoring. So buckle up for another bit of Rick Bonus and Daryl Sutter hockey, and let's hope that maybe we don't get more of these. I'm on Calgary <laughs> for tonight's game. I know Sat's a, a, a Dallas stand, so we'll see how that works out. Honestly, man, uh, I respect how they play. Yeah. I do. It's it's not fun, but they, they get results. Be pests. I want to see a game seven. Um, so that is uh, what's happening in that one. Check it out at playnow.com. The Mailbag Friday is next on Canuck Central. But first, let's get to the goal horn. Goal horn is brought to you by Surrey Cedar. For quality cedar products, visit them online at Surrey Cedar. Dot com. Rangers came back from a 2-0 deficit to go up 3-2 on the Pittsburgh Penguins as they try to force a seventh and decisive game. Chris Kreider got their third after Mika Zibanejad scored the first two, but it was of Jenny Malkin coming back before the end of the second to tie it up at three apiece in that game. Meantime, Panthers and Capitals tied at one apiece. Ryan Lomberg scoring for the Panthers. And uh, Nick Dowd on the board with his first of the postseason for the Washington Capitals. Mailbag Friday is next on Canuck Central.